good that we'll be able to edit this all together like I remember it purely from my head. Last week on Striped, you heard Ben Blackwell talk about some of the tracks that made it onto the White Stripes' first record, as well as some of the tracks that didn't. This time around, you're going to hear him talk about some of the shows the band played in 1999. In one of the sessions Blackwell and I did, we went through every single one of those shows from that year, and he had some pretty interesting tidbits and uh, kind of funny recollections from a few of them, and that's what you're going to hear. And we're not going to touch on anything that we've already covered in season one, so that means you're not going to hear much about the pavement shows or the WDET performance or that paycheck show. But there's some really interesting stuff here, including the origin story of a pretty iconic instrument. Oh, and just for reference, some of the live tracks you're going to hear aren't necessarily from the shows that are being discussed. I just wanted to throw that out there in case you happen to know the difference between all the live White Stripes recordings that have been released and thought, wait a minute, that song's not from that show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another bonus episode of Striped, the story of the White Stripes. Also in February of 99, they play at the Gold Dollar. Headlining at the Gold Dollar, they come in threes open for them. Uh, we've released a live recording of this show so everyone can hear it. But it was, the, it was the first time, I think it was the first time a handful of songs from the self-titled album uh, were ever played live. My particular memory is that um, if you listen to the studio recording of Broken Bricks, there's a very prominent school bell ringing. Ding, da, ding, da, ding, da, ding, da, ding, da, ding. Jack brought the bell with him, and I don't know if he was going to, if he had planned on playing it on stage. I think it's not on the recording, so I don't think he actually played it, but we'd, like, later that night, we'd gotten back home after loading out and getting home. He's like, oh, shit, I left the bell at the gold dollar, and I don't think he ever got the bell back. So, you know, little stupid things like that that stick out in your memory. I don't know if I said this in the last, the, the last interview, but the local bands were kind of, I don't know if local bands all felt this, but Jack seemed to, to hold pretty hard fast on never doing more than one show in town per month. And just thinking that it, it became, uh, you, you were diluting your product, um, that, that you'd have diminishing returns. But even so, one show a month in that town when there's only, a hundred people or so coming to see you still seems kind of rich. If you imagine you want all of those 100 people to show up. So they do a show in April, uh, opening for a band called the compulsive gamblers. The first band to go on was the Gore Gore girls. The white stripes were in the middle and then compulsive gamblers, compulsive gamblers were in town recording their LP crystal gazing luck. Amazing. Um, which is kind of this, cult classic underground garage record it's greg uh greg and jack who are in the oblivions this is kind of the first thing they did after the oblivions had ceased to be a band 
but weirdly the compulsive gamblers existed before the oblivion. So it's this kind of weird back and forth existence. If you had to do a, a band, a uh, family tree or timeline, it's all branches are roots and back and forth, that kind of thing. So in between that time to, to kind of give some more context, there was when it kind of seemed like the white stripes weren't going to be playing, um, you know, after the gold dollar show up until the paychecks show, Jack had, had really kind of changed his focus or, or put his focus on the go. So take this guy who was in three bands, you know, by in February and by March, it seems like maybe only one of those bands is still around. Um, The Go plays, it needs to be, <laughs> needs to be mentioned here. The Go plays a show early in April at uh, this, pl- this sh- club in Ferndale called Club Bart. And uh, the Soul Dad Brothers played, the Greenhorns played. It was a really, really great show. Um, but not long after that, for, for reasons, you know, kind of hard, hard to fathom at this point. Um, but the band, The Go, kicked Jack out. Um, which was kind of like, oh shit. Like I, he, the white stripes were kind of just getting back to this, not being their last show and probably still trying to figure out how that, what that meant. And now this other band that he had kind of, you know, had invested himself in, he was not in anymore. The whole reason I mentioned this is that <laughs> at this magic stick performance in April, I think it's April 17th. Um, Jack does, uh, the song Astro. And so if you listen to, on the album, it's maybe Jasper does the Astro. Maybe Lily does the Astro. Maybe my mama does the Astro. Maybe Edison is ACDC, blah, 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 all this stuff. And so uh, in this live performance, Jack swaps out the, those phrases and he substitutes the names of all the members of the go. Maybe Bobby does the Astro. Maybe Mark does the Astro. I think he was he was bummed out. He I think you know the go was was Bobby and Johnny's band and I think Jack was um he's just a strong personality and he had he had thoughts and visions of of what he thought the band should sound like and uh maybe they they didn't always necessarily see eye to eye. So Bobby, you know, I think nowadays says with a kind of a chuckle that, you know, you know, they were the band dumb enough to kick Jack White out. <laughs> so yeah, so Jack mentions all the members of the Go's names uh, at this Magic Stick show. But the biggest development at the Magic Stick show is Jack Yarber in the Compulsive Gamblers. Um, he's playing live. He has a 1960s uh, airline rezo glass guitar that he's playing live. And uh, backstage, and it was before or after the show, but Jack White asked Jack Yarber, like, hey, is that guitar for sale? And Yarber knew of the White Stripes already because the Compulsive Gamblers, Oblivions, that Memphis crew, they were hip to the White Stripes really early on. There's a, a kind of like a, a through line of 
what was happening in both those cities who were very, very in touch with each other. And so he, he already knew of the White Stripes, was apparently already a fan and was well aware of the red and white aesthetic. And so uh, I think Jack Yarbird said, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm probably, I, from memory, it's like he, he said it was, he, he charged Jack 300 bucks for the guitar. And Yarber was really excited because he was going to get a three pickup model that was, he knew was on the wall at a guitar store in Memphis. So the three pickup and had a, a whammy bar. And so Jack paid him the money and Jack was really excited. But the funny thing was, is that uh, the band was going on tour. Compulsive gamblers were going on tour. So he had to, he was like, yeah, you can buy the guitar, but uh, I, I'm going to give it to you at the end of the tour. <laughs> like the bass player, the guy who's playing bass with, Compulsive Gamblers, a guy named Jeff Meyer, who lived in Detroit. Um, he recorded the first White Stripe single. And so he's like, I'll just send the guitar home with Jeff. So, whatever, a couple weeks later, Jack goes over to Jeff's and picks it up. Like, okay, cool. And then the next show the band plays is the next show that they play after the Compulsive Gambler show is this weirdest show in White Stripes history, which is like friends of a friend, weird connection. It's towards the end of the semester at Wayne State. Wayne State University is the college in the middle of Detroit. And basically they're going to have their, you know how college, you know, uh, budgets work is that you have to spend your budget before the end of the year. So... It was, uh, I believe it was a Thursday afternoon and uh, someone, uh, the White Stripes got offered $500 to play the Wayne State Student Union at like noon on a Thursday. And they set up there and no one fucking cared. No one cared at all. It was kind of hilarious just watching it all happen. Um (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to explain like you're playing for people eating their lunch, a bunch of college kids eating their lunch who don't know of this band and who don't, who won't know, who won't know of this band for another five years. Um, and I think Jack thought, Jack thought one of the girls in the front of the crowd was like mocking him or making faces. So he got, he got kind of worked up and, uh, he did an interview recently where Jack was talking about, I didn't remember this, but he talked about the way that his amp was mic'd, that someone from like the AV department just put four mics in front of all right next to each other in front of his amp, which is not how you mic an amplifier. Uh, but just super, super odd show. There was definitely someone there taking photos. 100% remember that. I have never been able to track down these photos. When I went to Wayne State, like a year and a half later or or two years later, I started writing for the school newspaper. I was like, can we pull the newspaper from, I think it it was right around the It was right around April 20th, uh, April 20th or 21st. I was just like, let's pull the school newspaper because they do a newspaper every day. It's like, there's gotta be photos of the white stripes in there. Like someone was taking it for the school newspaper. Who would be taking these photos otherwise? And I never, I, I could never find them. Hopefully, the the podcast listening public out there 
will uh, will find these photos somewhere because I'm dying, dying to see these photos. The next show they play is May 30th, and it's the record release show. So this is the first time Jack ever plays the airline guitar live. And having just unearthed that video, I was surprised to notice that he's playing it. Uh, it doesn't yet have a pick guard. So the airlines originally came with a white pick guard of a very specific shape. And Jack Yarber, when he had it, his didn't have the pick guard on it or he lost it or whatever. And so when Jack bought it, uh, he didn't immediately have a pick guard on it. He later took it to his guitar repair guy, uh, a gentleman by the name of Mike Kuntz, um, and had him create a custom pick guard, not custom for the sake of like, I want my own thing or just like, just put a pick guard on it. It doesn't matter what it looks like in comparison to the original. I mean, these were like $200 guitars that no one really cared about. And so that's kind of the interesting thing now is that Jack is the only airline that looks like that because of his pick guard uh, wasn't the stock pick guard. Um, and I think, the, I think the company that has made like reissues of that guitar, ah, man, I can't I think they maybe actually knocked off Jack's custom pick guard. They didn't even use the stock pick guard. I could be wrong about that. But anyways, the record release show is great. They, they knock it out of the park. Jack has a huge, um, probably like three foot tall painted peppermint on stage. That was like, it's like kind of like a modern looking, uh, coffee table, like a white cylindrical, uh, coffee table that he'd painted with red swirls. Um, we had the red and white backdrop behind them on stage. Um, that was always very, very annoying to have to put up and take down being in the road crew, being the road crew. But yeah, they had this, the CDs for sale. Um, I can't remember if they had the LPs as well. They're, if you look at the record release show poster, they had had the seven inch. So the pre-album seven inch was Big Three Killed My Baby backed with Red Bowling Ball Ruth. They had that, were guaranteed that, but they weren't sure if the CDs, LPs were going to come in time. So there's this really, really funny verbiage. Jack didn't want to promise it being the record release if they weren't going to have the records there. So it says, you know, the White Stripes celebrating the release of their single and possibly their new album. This super, super caveat. Never wanting to, to promise something you can't deliver on. But Brendan Benson solo opened the show. Brendan Benson played the show. So, you know, all these characters that, you know, tours they're out on tour now, like Jack and Brendan go back over 20 years still. They're still playing shows together in whatever iteration. And it's also the first time that I ever remember seeing my wife. Uh, she was in the crowd. We had a mutual friend. We wouldn't meet. We wouldn't properly meet for another year, but she was there. So it's got a little, <laughs> you know, sentimentality for me.
July 9th, Jack's birthday, there's a show, a live show by Jack White and the Bricks, which is kind of, I think I described this last week. Um, you know, Jack had so much energy and was used to being in three bands and being on, in only one was kind of confusing. So he does, uh, we do this show, Jack White and the Bricks, which is me, Jack, Brendan, Kevin Piak, um, and kind of playing these songs yet to be White Stripe songs. A lot of stuff that would end up on White Blood Cells uh, eventually. And then later that month, uh, the 30th, July 30th, they play a gig at the Magic Bag um, and a really, really interesting gig. All the shows, I think, in 99 are really interesting. But uh, the Magic Bag had a uh, onstage house piano. And so this is the first time Jack ever plays keys on stage. And so they developed this whole kind of side um, detour of the set where they do, um, they do a version of Dead Leaves on piano, which is really, really beautiful. They do a version of Bob Dylan's Love Sick, which is the first time they ever played that song. Really, really haunting. Uh, kind of amazing how, how new of a Bob Dylan song that was at that time. I think that record came out maybe only two years earlier. So yeah, to see like a young rock band covering a new Bob Dylan song is really, really, the juxtaposition of that is kind of odd. And then I think they did St. James Infirmary Blues on piano. Just a really, really solid show. Again, playing in the suburbs immediately after playing a show, you know, a month later, two months later after playing a show in the city to try to satiate, you know, the people that won't go to see a show in Detroit. Um, the Greenhorns opened. So the Greenhorns, Jack Lawrence and Patrick Keeler from the Greenhorns are in the Rack and Tours now. These characters keep on coming through. You know, there's old friends are still percolating through this whole system. And yeah, that, that show, we've released a live recording in the vault. <laughs> um, so everyone can hear that or knows that. There's a really, really, one of my favorite White Stripes, uh, Jack White stage banter asides. He says, uh, he starts playing that uh, the little melody for doot, doot, diddum, diddum, wadum, chip on his guitar. Doot, 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 doot. And he asks, he's like, does everyone know that song? He says, uh, yeah, one day when I was a, when we were kids, me and Meg, Meg was, I, uh, she was digging a hole in the backyard and she was singing along to this song. And she was singing, I'm going to kill my brother, Jack. I'm going to kill my brother, Jack. I'm going to stab him right in the back. Throw him in a hole and he'll never come back. And he kind of, I think he kind of laughs at the end of it all. And uh, <laughs> it, there's, there's, there's definitely, that show is, I think it's a very angry show. I think that that aside is there's something to be said about that. I, I'm probably not smart enough to know what. Um, but also there's a there's a there's a wholesomeness and a sweetness on it. And the band comes and does their encore. Um, Jack, let's going back to the Jack White and the Bricks show. He talks about the last song the band does is a cover of a song called uh, "Ain't It a Shame." And he dedicates it to, I don't know if he says her name or not, but he says, uh, I forget the specific dedication, but it's to Meg. Um, and I think she had just gotten her wisdom teeth out. And so he's saying, you know, ain't it a shame you got to live in pain are the lyrics of the song. 
And then at the end of the Magic Bag show, um, crowd's yelling for more. More, more, more. And he's like, man, my sister's got mono, man. She's tuckered out. We can't got any more with us. So, um, so Meg not feeling good. Uh, the middle of 1999. Mono and getting your wisdom teeth out um, if that is what happened I think oh, that's all brother because I broke a string and my sister's got mono so she's talking about so say a little prayer for her and say a little prayer for yourselves. So thank you very much. The next show they play was, uh, they played again at the Magic Bag. And this was opening for uh, the 60s uh, British band, The Pretty Things. And uh, Willie Wilson, again, makes his, his way into the story. Willie Wilson was the promoter of that show. And he said every band in town was harassing the shit out of him to play that show. Sorry, fuck. There was a show in Cincinnati in August. Um, <laughs> but the Cincinnati show was opening for the Greenhorns uh, at a club called Sudsy Malone's. And uh, Sudsy Malone's is great because it was half um, bar performance space and half laundromat. So I think Jack had played there back in the day with Goober and the Peas. And uh, Meg had to work late that day. And so Jack had gone down with... Um, Johnny Walker from the Soul Dead Brothers, they had driven down together to Cincinnati. And I waited in Detroit until Meg got out of work. And we drove down together in my mom's Ford Taurus. Uh, that is how I remember this story. Did they play Cincinnati before that? I think it's their first time in Cincinnati. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so we might have spent an extra day or two there hanging out with, I think we stayed with Patrick from the Greenhorns and went to like antique shops and record stores and had Geta for the first time. It was great. Um, still love Geta to this day. My wife tolerates it when we're, when, when we're driving through. But that, that, Cincin that Cincinnati show was kind of just like really the only real show that I felt was like kind of in the out-of-town show that was in the wake of that first album. Like, if there was a tour, that kind of felt like it. Because by the time they get to actually touring, by the time they're doing the shows with Pavement, it feels like... To me, I got the impression that that first album was kind of already in the rearview mirror. They're already... Jack had already kind of introducing all these new songs to the mix. <laughs> Right after the pavement tour ends, it seems like Jack, uh, the, the, they do like a last minute, no real warning show at the Gold Dollar. That's October 2nd. And it's kind of just like riding the buzz of the pavement shows. Jack did a flyer that um, I, don't, I think I don't even have at this point. It was like a, probably the more rare White Stripes live flyers. And it was a good performance. It was, it was very similar to the sets that were played at, uh, on the pavement shows. Um, I think is a it's a first performance of maybe, I think he does aluminum. They they play aluminum as a uh, 
instrumental. There's a live, there's a bootleg live recording of it out there, but it was, it was, a, it was kind of like a, it's not like a homecoming. It's not like really celebratory or three shows, but it was kind of like, Hey man, we, we, we got in a groove playing another show, but they played another show at the gold dollar. They played a show at the gold dollar in November of, uh, 99. And it was with, uh, it was with the go. So the go is the opening band. So again, we've come full circle now. Whereas a year ago, Jack was playing with the go at the gold dollar, uh, as a member, uh, they're now opening for the white stripes. Um, and, uh, I don't, I don't nothing. I, there's, there's recordings of that show out there, but I nothing sticks out from memory. I think it was probably an okay show. Um, but that's kind of the live profile of that year. So I don't know. We're talking about maybe 10 shows, uh, but the band really, really, if you look at that, if you start at that live WDET performance all the way through that performance at the gold dollar in November, the ups and downs and the, the, the surprises and the developments and the new songs that they're playing, and the new covers that they're doing. They're doing I'm Bored by Iggy Pop. They're doing, I think the, the Wayne State show is the first time they ever played I Just Don't Know What to Do With Myself, which, you know, that's 1999. That's not going to end up on a record until 2003 um, when, it, when it's on Elephant. Um, it's a very, it's, it's kind of like a bedrock year for the band. They, they really work on establishing um, not only their rapport, their on-stage rapport, but also just their their presentation of how these things, the red, white, and black, um, the two-piece, how, how they tie together in terms of the presentation to the public. That's all we've got for this bonus episode of Striped, the story of the White Stripes. I want to say a special thanks to Ben Blackwell, Ben Swank, and the rest of the Third Man crew. We get production support from Mark Charles and Kojin Tashiro. And as always, the biggest thanks of all goes to the White Stripes themselves, Jack and Meg White, because without them, none of this would be possible. I'm your host and producer, Sean Cannon. See you next time. (laughs) 